Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. I'll invite your attention to the book of Ephesians. We are studying, as you know, verse by verse. We're in chapter 5. We come to verse 21 of chapter 5 in the book of Ephesians. In fact, that's our text this morning, just one verse, Ephesians 5, 21. By now, it should be abundantly clear from what Paul has taught us so far in this study that the Christian lifestyle, which he refers to over and again as our walk, is to be fundamentally different than the lifestyle of unregenerate, lost, unsaved people. In fact, in verse 3, he says, we are to put off as a dirty garment immorality and impurity and greed, those things that a lost world is known for. Even the way we talk is to be changed. Verse 4 says, there's to be no filthy talk or speech of any kind that is unfitting for a believer. The Christian walk is to be marked by an attraction to and a close affection for those things which Paul describes as good and righteous and true. In fact, last Sunday we looked at the walk of wisdom and we defined wisdom as the ability to discern and to judge those things that have those characteristics, good and righteous and true and, and valuable. And those wise decisions are made only as we submit to the will of the Holy Spirit. He says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled or controlled by the Spirit of God, which simply means to submit to God's will over your own. And as we live like that, as we make our decisions habitually over a long period of time, submitting to the will of God, it's also going to have an impact on our relationships. And for the rest of the book of Ephesians, Paul shows us how our relationships are to be changed forever because our relationship with Christ. It begins with how we encourage one another. Remember what he said? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs as thankfulness wells up in our heart. And the truth is it's not just our behavior, it's not just our speech, even our music will be different when we come to know the Lord and, and when we're born again. And so that leads us to verse 21. And it says simply this, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now I know it's probably not good to, to pick up in the middle of a sentence like that and begin with the conjunction and. But I purposely left off verse 21 last week, even though it's part of that entire thought, because I wanted to deal with this verse separately. Because it is attached to verse 15. So look at verse 15. He says, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, comma. And then he has four more verses, 16, 17, 18, 19, and really 20, five verses. And then another comma, really a semicolon, and be subject to God, uh, to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, you know from grammar lessons, if you have something between two commas, you can actually remove those things that are in between and the sentence still makes sense, right? It still has a subject and verb. And so let's do it. He says, therefore, be careful, verse 15, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, comma. Now skip down to verse 21 and be subject to one another in fear of Christ. So those verses in between 15 and 21 tell us how our behavior is going to be changed as a result of being born again. Verse 21 tells us how our relationships 
are going to be changed as our relationship um, with Christ has changed. And so that brings us today to our outline. The title of the message, Mutual Submission. And the first point is this. This is a clear command. A command is an imperative. And this is a very short and a simple imperative that we are to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. It simply means to submit, to submit. Now that word submit or, or submission is a frightening word to a lot of people because it's uh, so misunderstood. But he says submit to one another. And almost always when you see those two words together in the New Testament, one another, he's speaking of relationships specifically in the context of the local church. There are many examples of this. He says, uh, for example, be at peace with one another. New Testament says in many places we're to love one another. We are to be devoted to one another in the church. We're to honor one another, accept one another, serve one another, instruct one another, greet one another, and forgive one another. In other words, Christians are to treat one another like Jesus treats Christians, right? And if we keep that in mind, that, that will go far. Now here in verse 21, he takes all of these one another's. And by the way, I just gave you a short sample. There are many dozens of them in the New Testament. He takes all of the one another's and distills them down into one overarching concept that will and must mark out Christian behavior, and that is mutual submission, putting one another's needs first. Now, the concept of Christian submission is rooted in the virtue of humility. Jesus, of course, taught his disciples to be humble, and they needed to be taught that lesson because they weren't. You remember almost always where we find the disciples together in the New Testament, the subject of their conversation almost always turned to a question. The question was, which one of us is the greatest? Which one of us is going to have the right to sit next to Jesus when he sits on his throne in, in Jerusalem? They were self-serving and they were prideful and Jesus called them on it time and again. In fact, Mark 9, 35, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to be first, by the way, they all did. If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Now you want to talk about different. You want to talk about standing out from the culture. You want to talk about revolutionary. The concept is if you want to be first, you have to be the greatest servant is certainly that. Now, watch the debates tomorrow night and see if the concept of mutual submission ever comes up. I suspect it will not because our cultures, like everyone that has preceded it, the idea is that he who dies with the most wins, right? Step on heads all the way to the top of the mountain. Do whatever you have to do to get your pound of flesh. Promote yourself so that you're out front and not left in the dust. Just the opposite of what Jesus says. So Paul picks up on Jesus' teaching about humility here in Ephesians 5, 21, and he says, be subject to one another. The King's Version, James Version, I believe, says submit to one another. They mean the same thing. You might remember from our study of the book of 1 Peter, that Greek word translated submit or be subject is a compound Greek word, hupotazo. You know that to hyper means above in Greek, hupo means below. So hupotazo means to rank oneself below. And so here's the definition. Voluntarily ranking oneself under the authority of others. Now that word that's very important there is voluntarily. 
Christian is not to be compelled to do this. This is to be something that comes out of the outflow of his heart because of thankfulness for what Christ has done for him. Now, Peter says, if you remember that study, that there are several areas of life where we should practice submission. He starts off and he says, we are to submit to the governmental authorities, right? We're to obey the law. In today's vernacular, we should drive the speed limit. We should pay our taxes. Because he says, God is the author of government, right? And even if it's a government that we don't happen to agree with, as Christians, we should submit to it. Secondly, he says we are to submit to our boss, our superiors at work. We're to give a good day's work for a day's pay. He says, not just when the boss is looking, but always doing what is right, because it reflects on the Lord if we don't. And then he says, there's to be the right roles in the family, children, wives, and submission. And then he comes to, of course, the relationship within the churches. Now, Paul does a similar thing here, but he starts off in verse 21 by saying that every Christian should have an attitude of submission to every other Christian. And then for the rest of the book, he divides that down and parses it down into particular relationships. As you probably know, beginning next Sunday, we're going to talk about the marriage relationship. And after that, we'll talk about relationships of children and parents and then bosses uh, and, and their workers all the way down the line. So for this morning, let's just look at the concept of, of Christian submission. Now, it's about this point in the sermon where a lot of folks tend to get a little nervous when we talk about submission because those of you out in the business world or on sports teams, you may have the belief that if you have this attitude of submission, you're going to be perceived as weak and small and a doormat and a pushover. You say things like, I'll get pushed around and marginalized and silenced in the public square. And even if I bring myself to put others first occasionally, I'm going to hate every minute of it and my life will be miserable. Now think about that statement. Do you really believe that if you obey God, your life is going to be miserable? No. Now that's not to say that if you obey God, you, you won't have some pain. Jesus said a servant is not greater than the master. Jesus, of course, was the perfect example of submission and he was misunderstood. He was maligned and eventually put to death. But I don't think we should ever say that obedience to God makes one miserable. In fact, it brings the only true joy that this life can offer. But let's admit that this doctrine has often been abused and perverted this doctrine of mutual submission. I was just sitting down at my desk this week and I just thought about four different ways that I have seen this doctrine perverted even in the church. And I gave them my own names. You may not like them, but they're mine. The, the first way I've seen this doctrine perverted is what I call the say uncle theory. The idea of Christian submission, some people think is that God brings so much pain in your life it's like when you were a kid and you'd lock hands with your opponent and you'd squeeze one another's hands and wrists until someone yelled uncle. That God's somehow putting us in his vice grip until we tap out or, or we submit. And that's not the, the idea here. He's telling us to voluntarily have this attitude of submission because obedience to God brings joy and not grief. The second perversion I've seen is, is what I call the might makes right view. If someone has a title, if someone is perceived to, to have authority, they can sometimes abuse verses like this and say, we're going to do it because I'm the boss, right? Even if they're absolutely wrong. 
Someone gave me some advice a long time ago. He said, if you always have to tell people you're in charge, you're not. So be, be leery of people who always are, are demanding their way because they have the, the higher title. Just because someone has a title doesn't mean they can never be wrong. We know that Jesus and Paul and the other apostles, even though they had great authority, they also showed honor and deference even to earthly authorities, but they also spoke truth to power. Jesus was not afraid of even the Roman government or Pontius Pilate, let alone the Pharisees and, and Paul was the same way. There's a third perversion and that is what I call the, the chaos view. That is the idea in the church that there, there shouldn't be any roles, right? That everybody's on the, on the same level and uh, we, we just treat one another all the same. No one has any authority over anyone else. Well, that sounds great. It simply is not very practical. You remember the last time you went to a football game, whether it's high school or college or, or pro, if you look down on the field, you will notice that there are hashtags. There are markings on the field. There are lines. There are boundaries. There are rules, right? Well, what if the referee suddenly announced midway through the first quarter that they were going to suspend the rules for the next 10 minutes? No rules. No player was out of bounds. He could go up into the crowd. If he wanted to run a play there, um, if you want to drop kick your opponent, you could do that. There, there's no rules. Well, what's going to happen? Someone's going to get hurt, right? The Lord is a God of order, not of chaos. And he gives us structure, including government, including places of business, including families where people have roles. And that's also true in the church. God's not a God of chaos. And then there's a fourth perversion I see, and that is what I call the, the milk toast view. And that, the idea is to be a Christian, yet you have to go around with your head down, shuffling your feet, never looking anyone in the eye, always being sickeningly sweet to everyone. Now, I thought about this week, this is how I think, I'm sorry. I, th I thought of a Bugs Bunny cartoon when I was a kid. Do you, do you, do you remember the little chipmunks? on the Bugs Bunny cartoon who were brothers and they were so sickeningly sweet to everybody. And so they would come to a door and one of them would say, well, you go first. And the other one says, no, you go first. I insist. No, I, I know you go first. I'm not going to, you go. And it would cut away in 10 minutes and they were still doing that. They couldn't make any decision because each one had to do, outdo the other in humility. Well, that's not what he's talking about either. He's talking about having the attitude that I don't always have to get my way on matters of preference. Now that's not to say that there are certain things that we don't need to be willing to die for. There are, there are matters of doctrine, matters of morality. There are things where we must not give an inch. But for many things in the world, they're simply matters of preference. And Christians are to be very willing and ready to give up their own rights for the sake of unity. Now, that should not surprise us that this doctrine has been perverted because perverting God's true doctrines is the business of Satan, right? That's what he does. He takes something true that God says, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. He twists it, he turns it until it's something that it was never intended to be. Fortunately for us, God has given to us through his word a perfect example of what submission looks like. And that is in the person and work of Jesus Look what he says in verse 21, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, what does he mean by that? 
Well, we saw last week that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I think what he means by that is that we must always live in fear of not obeying this commandment to submit to one another, lest we shame the good name of Jesus by ignoring his example. Well, let's remind ourselves of the perfect example of Christ as it regards submission. Follow me, if you will, chronologically. The idea of submission began in eternity past. The scripture tells us that in the secret counsels of God, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit determined to save a group of people which we call the church today. That happened, that decision was made before any of us were ever born. And it was determined that the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, would leave the glories of heaven and empty himself out and take on the form of a baby, a human. We call that the incarnation. And that he would grow up and be tempted like every other human is tempted. And he would die the death on the cross as the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world. That's, that's God's eternal redemptive plan. And it played out in submission. Listen to Philippians 2, verse 3 and following. Paul says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. There's the virtue of humility tied to submission. With humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look on your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. And have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. That word means to be held on to tightly. It's an eagle's talons in its prey. Instead, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now theologians call this the kenosis passage. That's another Greek word that means to empty. And we don't know exactly what it means that Jesus emptied himself and came to earth. We, we know he did not cease to be God. But I think it means he emptied himself of his divine glory, meaning all of the things that he enjoyed in heaven, being worshiped day and night by the angels. And he took on this form of a, a servant, but really a baby, right? And not born into riches, not born into royalty, born into poverty, born not in an antiseptic hospital room, but in a filthy stable. And he grew up in anonymity and was 30 years old before we hear of anything that he'd done of note. And then he emerges and was baptized by his cousin John the Baptist and began to preach and then to do signs and wonders and then ultimately die for our sins. But it began in eternity past, but it continued on, as I said, at his incarnation. Did you know that that word hupotazo, to voluntary rank yourself under, was used to describe Jesus when he was just a boy? Do you remember the story in the book of Luke where Mary and Joseph went to Jerusalem with a traveling group of people and Jesus got separated from them and they thought he was with someone else and they make it down the road and they realize Jesus isn't with them. Frantically, they go back to the city and there they find him teaching older men, right? And they were worried to death and scolded him and Jesus said, didn't you know that I must be doing my father's will? But do you know this is the very next verse, Luke 2.51 says, He went down with them, that is his parents, Mary and Joseph, and he came to Nazareth 
And he continued in hupotazo to them, in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Now I've heard people say, Pastor, surely I don't have to submit to my boss. I'm way smarter than he is. Surely I don't have to submit to my husband. He's a jerk. Surely I don't have to submit to this president that I don't agree with his policies. Now put yourself now in the place of Jesus who Paul holds up as our perfect example. Can you imagine being the creator of the God of the universe and your mother says make up your bed? And he did it. Not because he didn't have authority over her, he created her. But because he hupotazo, he voluntarily ranked himself under her authority because it brought glory to his father. But it didn't end there. This voluntary submission was articulated in the Garden of Gethsemane. We heard a song about it just a moment ago. Thy will be done. That's taken from Matthew 26, 36, you know, where Jesus had left the upper room the night of his arrest and he went to the Garden of Gethsemane with his closest disciples to pray. Scripture says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, and he began to be grieved and distressed. And then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. Now we know they couldn't do that for even an hour. They fell asleep. Why was Jesus' soul deeply distressed? Well, since eternity passed, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, had had a perfect relationship with God the Father. And he knew that in just a few hours that relationship was going to be tested because God the Father was going to place the sins of the world upon the sons. He had never done any sin and he had never felt the impact of sin and Certainly as a human being, he was not looking forward to the physical pain that would accompany this crucifixion. But verse 39 tells the story. He went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. That is an articulation of the concept of Christian submission. But it is not in there. It began in eternity past. It included the incarnation. It was articulated in the garden, but it was completed at the cross. John 19.30 says, Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, you remember when he was on the cross, he said, I thirst. They took a stick and took some sour vinegar and put it to his lips. And he said three words. Do you remember? It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. His mission was completed. He had perfectly obeyed. He had perfectly submitted himself to the Father. And I think there's a great lesson for all of us here that we need to say to be truthful. Obeying this commandment to hupotazo, to voluntarily rank yourself under the authority of another, is hard. It is counterintuitive. It is certainly countercultural. It goes against everything in our fallen human nature to submit to another person. But if we're to be like Jesus, we'll do it. Sometimes obeying this commandment is costly. It costs Jesus his very life. 
And so let's go back to those questions that some of you had earlier. Is, it, is there a possibility that when you submit as a way of life, you're going to be misunderstood? Yes, very possible. Is there a possibility that you will be maligned and even abused when you take that attitude? Very likely. Is there a possibility others will look down upon you? Almost certainly. Is it worth it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do yourself a great favor this week and memorize 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Why don't you just jot that down? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Many of you know it already. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. The King James says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that me, he, that me may exalt you in due time. Again, Jesus is the perfect example of this. We know that when Jesus came to earth the first time, it was not in royal robes. It was a humble baby born of a virgin in a filthy stable. When he entered Jerusalem, it was on the foal of a donkey, the humblest of domesticated animals. He was maligned and abused and spit upon, rejected. The Bible says because he was obedient to the father when he comes the second time, he's not going to be riding a donkey. He's going to be riding a white charger, a war horse. He'll not come as the prince of peace. He'll come as the conquering king and the judge of the universe. And the Bible describes in the book of Revelation as having a sword for a tongue. And he has a flaming fire in his eyes and he has a sash across his breast that says, King of kings and Lord of lords. God the Father exalts God the Son because of his obedience. I read to you a moment ago from Philippians 2. Let's turn there now as we close. I didn't tell you the whole story. I just stopped at verse 8, which says that being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross. There's a very important transition that takes place in the beginning of verse 9. It says this, For this reason, that is because he humbled himself, because he became obedient to the point of death, God highly, what? Exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It comes down to a matter of trust and faith. And so when we are in the parking lot at the church uh, and it's raining on Sunday morning and there's one spot left and there's your car and his car, and you have to decide, am I going to cut him off and get the spot and take what's rightfully mine? Or are you going to submit? And you go to the church fellowship. And there's 200 people waiting for a piece of cake. Are you going to run to the front of the line before the last amen is said? Or are you going to wait till everyone else is served? And then if there's anything left, you'll take some. That's the decision. This is how practical it is every day. You're sitting in Sunday school class and someone says, uh, who wants to lead in prayer? And you've been practicing at home all week. <laughs> and you're ready for your place in the spotlight. 
Are you going to defer to the person sitting next to you? Or are you going to demand your place in the sun? These are all the decisions that we place every day in the life of the church, submitting to one another. The question is, are you going to trust God? Now, now you can take that parking place and you can take that place of leadership and you can take that position of, of, of influence. and You can take that last piece of cake, but that's all you're going to get, right? A little bit of notoriety or a little bit of satisfaction in the here and now. But if you do it God's way, you'll be rewarded for eternity, right? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. That due time is rarely in the here and now. It's almost certainly after we die in glory. Paul says it this way, looking unto heaven where Jesus is, seated at the right hand of the Father. Having that eternal perspective and trusting the Lord will do what he says is right. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this word and we all need to hear it. I certainly do. It's our human nature to want to be first and out front, noticed at the head of the table, the place of honor. And Lord, we struggle with the same pride that uh, your disciples did. We debate among ourselves who is the greatest. Help us to remember what Jesus said. The greatest is the greatest servant. Help us to die to self every day. It's not just the removal of the dirty garments of immorality and greed and impurity. It's not even cleaning up our language. Father, it really is a hard attitude of uh, voluntarily ranking ourselves under others for your glory. Help us to do that, Father, even when it hurts, even when it's painful, because we trust you and know you'll do what is right. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.